while I started my career in technology, I always say business first. The technology's fun. It's still fun for me. But at the end of the day, we measure our success not by delivering technology, but by delivering measurable business outcome. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun. Many CIOs started in the industry because of their love for technology. Some of us fell in love with coding, others with tearing apart hardware and putting it back together again. However, as we grew in our careers, we learned it was more about business than about tech. We had to be business leaders. Today's guest embodies that more than just about anyone I know. David Schott is the Senior Vice President and CIO for Simon Property Group. Simon is a global leader in the ownership of shopping, dining, entertainment, and mixed-use destinations, and an S&P 100 company. Welcome to the show, David. Good morning. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, before we dive in, I have to share a bit of the story about how we came to know each other. About 12 or 13 years ago, I was a brand new CIO of a commercial real estate developer. My second day on the job, my boss announces that he has arranged a meeting for me and my direct reports with David and some of his team at their offices. Now, David, you're a car guy, so hopefully this will resonate. That would be kind of like being a go-kart racer in some podunk racing circuit and being told you're going to go meet with Scott Dixon of IndyCar and talk about driving. I was nervous as hell, to say the least. Oh, that's Uh, funny. (laughs) David and his team were incredibly gracious and helpful, and David continues to be my mentor and friend to this day. So before we dive in, David, thank you for that day and the many days beyond that. Well, thanks, Jeff. I got to tell you, I'm always happy to contribute and however I may be able to do so. But, you know, I guess as they say, my advice is worth what you paid for it, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, you know, in today's environment, CIOs are lucky to be around for three or four years before being replaced. Yet you've been at Simon, I think, for over 20 years now and continue to have a significant impact on the company. I think part of that is because you've created a unique culture within your team. So why don't we start there? How would you describe that culture that you've built in the IT department at Simon? Yeah, so that's that's a pretty big question, Jeff. Um, and, and you talked a little bit about, you know, when when we all came into this field, it was because, you know, when we were young, we either liked tearing apart hardware, we liked writing code or, or those kinds of challenges. And, and I'm no different. You know, I started my career writing code and, and I did that because I frankly get bored with things pretty quickly. And really coding's no different. What I figured out was after five, six, seven years of coding, what you'd end up doing is you, you fill your toolbox with all of the you know, kind of tactics and techniques mm-hmm. and the languages yeah. change and and the applications change. But as far as assembling and designing code, you know, at some point you've filled your, your toolbox. And so 
I refer to when I'm mentoring my own people in my own department, I, I talk about a fork in the road. And that fork in the road is you're either going to become really, really technical mm-hmm. or you're going to become a business person. I obviously chose the the business path and that typically starts out with leadership of people and, and projects and and little projects to big projects and right, right. eventually management and perhaps executive management. So the culture here, it's very much business driven. While I started my career in technology, I always say business first. The technology's fun. It's still fun for me. But at the end of the day, we measure our our success not by delivering technology, but by delivering business, measurable business outcome. And so one of the things that I've put in place that um, I got to tell you, it's it's a constant battle, even even after 20 years, technologists kind of they want to do what they do, which is deliver technology and. And the way I say it is, you know, and it may, may come across kind of harsh, but, but what I say is I don't allow our people to be order takers. And what I mean by that is uh, it's my expectation that we work with our business partners to understand problems, understand opportunities they as the business experts, we as the technology experts, and then collaboratively develop an appropriate solution where we can show that we've affected the business in the end. And by contrast, oftentimes what happens is everybody wants to be a problem solver, right? Right. And right. So, so many times the problem is solved and the solution is developed and it, it lands in someone's lap. And what I, you know, over the years, what I've found is by nature, technologists tend to be pretty highly analytical, mm-hmm. pretty thoughtful, very inquisitive. And we, we challenge the business people with more questions and different ways of looking at things. And between those analytical disciplines and the business people's expertise in their business, the result is always better together than separate. Um, yeah. You know, and the contrast to that is also true, Jeff. Um, I don't develop and push solutions to the business. Um, I, I call that pushing the rope. That also does not work. It would be unfair to think that we know their business better than they do, right? So, so that's really kind of the culture that I try to push both within the department and then within the company with our own business counterparts. I think it was interesting when we were talking the other day and you were talking about this um the order taker and that you refuse to let your team be an order taker. And I think so many uh, CIOs and frankly, leaders of other departments within an organization, they, they constantly talk about, we, we don't want to be an order taker. We want to be more strategic than that. So how did you evolve your culture into one that you, that you're not that order taker? Really, it's it probably starts in my office, right? I mean, the the CIO kind of sets the tone for that. 
Right. It's been very, very much top down. And we, we do it through really, frankly, rolling our sleeves up from my level, my direct reports, all the way through the organization. We roll our sleeves up and we get our hands dirty and we truly dig in and keep asking why and keep asking why and keep asking why until we get to the root of either an opportunity or mm-hmm. a problem. Yeah, um, yeah. And so simply put, you know, we do it by example. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing that you talked about was it really started from day one. You set that tone when you first walked in the doors. And uh, I think one of the stories you shared uh, would be great for our audience. Can you kind of run us through that story? Yeah. So, you know, we, we're in, we're in the business of owning and operating premier shopping and lifestyle destinations and in North America, as well as internationally. And as part of administering that business, we obviously bill and collect for rent. And because of your background in real estate, you understand this, Mm -hmm. but, but I'll give a little bit of color just for anyone listening. While on the surface, it seems pretty simple. uh, Every one of these leases are negotiated individually and the leases are not always straightforward to interpret such that they can be billed. But at any rate, yeah. Um, as you know, when we, when we bill monthly charges, it's a bunch of different charges. It's rent, it's common area maintenance for the center. Um, it could be insurance. It could be taxes. It's a lot of different things. And what the tenant does is they give us a check and they don't tell us which of those charges they're paying. And for a variety of reasons, we, we have to apply the money down to the individual charge codes. We had done that manually for many, many, many years. And because of my background in, in other industries, I just thought it was um, it was interesting that we hadn't looked for ways to automate that process. So we, we developed that um, and we got to a point where we were applying something right around 80% of the cash that came in the door to at the individual charge code. We were applying it to the individual charge codes at about an 80% hit rate. And we, we went from taking a couple weeks uh, after we build monthly charges to apply the cash and then ultimately know who didn't pay us to the day after the rent was due, we knew who didn't pay because we had automated the process and it was much faster. Put us in a position to manage the receivable side of the business much tighter is fantastic. Lo and behold, you know, uh, six, seven, eight years down the road, we change some internal process and our algorithm that applies cash went from, let's just say 70 to 80% range down into the low to mid thirties. And we track the metric and we watched it go from something that we liked to something we didn't like. And we stood up and asked the question, Hey guys, what's going on with our automated application of cash and begin, you know, kind of drilling in what we figured out was we made some business decisions and essentially what we did is we changed the frequency with which the, the bills changed mm-hmm. and our algorithm wasn't really built to do that. 
So we dug in, we figured out what was changing. We figured out the business value of why we were doing that. It all made perfectly good sense. Uh, but when we made the business policy and process changes, we didn't ask about the automation. So we just, we went in and redefined. And at any rate, we're, we're back to our historic uh, levels of auto application of cash. And it, it's really a good example of once we, once we saw the metric change, the IT people, the business people got their heads together, understood what we changed, why we changed it, and how we needed to change the automation to get, and then work together to both augment what was already there, go through the testing process, and ultimately put it in, put it put it back in production. It really highlights a, a couple of the principles that, that you've instilled in the organization. One is that root cause analysis, right? Something raised a flag and it's like, let's dig in and understand why. Uh, and then it's also the partnership of the business. Uh, or with the business rather. And I think that's critical to, to what you've been able to do and achieve as an organization, as a department uh, within your team. I love this, uh, this quote from you the other day. So I'm going to quote you and then you can tell us the backstory on, on that. You said basically that the challenge is to be true to the principles, but sometimes you have to tell people to ignore them and go in a different direction. It's a balancing act. Help us unpack that. What things are you talking about there? And how do you teach people to know when to go in that different direction? Yeah, so let me let me tell you what I meant by that. So I have these kind of operating IT cultural tenets that mm-hmm. it's first lead with business. It's don't be an order taker. Um, it's be inquisitive and have good root cause analytics. And what I'm asking there, they're more business oriented type skills and focus. And so it's something that we work on every day and we're not perfect, right? But we hammer on it every day, every day, every day. And then occasionally we will actually ask people to do the opposite, which can be quite confusing. And the reason for that is simple. It's it's because technology changes so fast, and I almost think about it as you know, looking uh, two different directions. One, you're constantly and obsessively focused on business and business outcomes, and if you don't do that, my experience tells me that what you what you can often end up is solutions without problems or, or solutions right. with yeah. ill-defined problems or opportunities we can never we can never really take our eye off of technology either and so it's it's a challenge to hammer on business focus while also not losing your technical edge because technologies are uh, you know ever evolving and at a pace and a rate faster than ever and if you take your eye off the technology ball you're also going to fall behind so occasionally we have to send people conflicting messages and right. I mean, we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes managing and directing a challenge because what people want is they want guideposts and, and our guideposts are always going to be lead with business outcomes in mind, be analytical, those right. sorts of things. 
And on the other side, we're constantly looking at new technologies, um, which are solutions looking for problems, right? But, but right. when you're doing both, it's actually okay. It's just a challenge because people can sometimes be confused by, because they think you've moved the guideposts. Yeah. Well, if you're not looking at the new stuff, you're, you're stuck in the status quo, which is, uh, you know, where the name of this podcast comes from is how do you shift out of the status quo? But you don't always want to be looking at the new stuff. You've got to be able to balance that. So I think that's a great recommendation for our listeners that you can't lose yourself in one or the other. You have to, you have yes. to do both. And in, in a perfect world where, you know, where there were enough technologists to go around and there was enough budget to go around, you know, you might bifurcate groups so that you had consistent guideposts per group, but uh, yeah. most of yeah. us don't have that luxury, right? Right, right. I think the other thing that you said earlier about pushing solutions to the business uh, is like pushing a rope. Yet, as you and I have talked over the years, your team has led some business results, if you will, uh, provided business value by bringing ideas to the table. If you can go there, I think one of the ideas we talked about the other day was uh, the telecom idea that uh, you recommended or at least you envisioned and then brought to the business. How do you know where and when you can step in and do those types of things. Yeah. So the interesting thing about that one, Jeff, and I admittedly, I can only take but so much credit for it because we as a company had the idea probably back around 1998, 1999 as well. And we, we had a similar venture where I guess for the benefit of anyone listening, I'll back up a little bit. We we have we look at our centers not just as retail um, and entertainment destinations, but but from the business side or the business to business side, we look at them as centers of commerce, and we look at them as a natural mm-hmm. point of aggregation. And to the extent that there are opportunities that because of the scale and the point of aggregation. Um, and, and there's commerce that's happening because of that. If there are opportunities to create win-win or win-win-win situations, we'll always look at those, right? It's an opportunity to do something right. good for the tenants, good for the shoppers, and good for Simon Property Group. Um, we're always looking out for things like that. So what you're referencing is is something that we endeavored to do back in 99 or so we were ahead of our time Um, the applications weren't there the demand wasn't there and there were other challenges with the opportunity and and we resurfaced it um, probably three three and a half years ago and what we did is we we recognized that many of our assets right if, if you look at our our history some of our assets have have been around for decades some of them we built many of them we got through acquisitions so so having a standard technology footprint and communication backbone in these assets is is something that we had not done and so i looked at the opportunity 
a little bit differently maybe than we did in 99 in part because times are much different than they were if you look if you think back to 1999 and you think about what was being done with telecommunications in a retail environment the point of sale devices were still predominantly on a little dial-up modem right so there was a, right. a point of sale device with a credit card pin pad kind of situation that was on dial-up and there was that and there was telephone lines so that's what i mean when i say that we were early in that the demand wasn't there yet and and if you if you look today you have retailers who have wi-fi in their stores both for their shoppers and for their internal operations with mobile checkout type situations you have you know not in our portfolio but you you go to a home depot and you ask and for a product and the associate's going to get their phone out they're going to get on the home depot website and say well it's over on aisle you know whatever so the the applications and the need for connectivity in real estate they're just growing uh, unbelievably exponentially so you know we have digital signage retailers have digital signage they're streaming things they're monitoring energy right they're doing all kinds of things right and right. we as a mall operator are doing the same thing and so my approach was look when we when we put these digital signs in you know i'm running fiber from one side of a center to to a sign and then uh, to a different location and then when i put digital music in i'm running fiber and so the net of it is we were doing what i was calling putting in single use infrastructure so we right. we were essentially in a with different point solutions paying for something that being a centralized plant that you can plug into from anywhere yet we didn't have it because um, we were looking at things in a stovepipe solution and right. because I didn't have plant, it, it made every one of those things more expensive. So the opportunity and my, you know, back of the napkin math said, once we get to about two to two and a half different applications for connectivity, whether it be digital music or digital signs or CCTV cameras essentially we could pay for a plant and have it. So we, we took, and by the way, if I had it, I could put enough fiber in that I could do a partnership situation. So while we were deploying capital in silos for individual solutions, the other side of the, the coin that what we had with the tenants is the telecommunication companies are rapidly going away from copper-based services and so the investment to get communications into the center for tenants they weren't prepared to in a way that we were going to be comfortable with get connectivity to a center and throughout a center and tenants were having challenges getting enough bandwidth again because of all of the uses and so we looked at multiple situations and said, gosh, this, this makes a lot of sense because we need it, the tenants need it, the telecommunication companies have made bowls of spaghetti in our ceilings, right? <laughs> Which, I yeah. mean, you, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we're constantly um, renovating, expanding, improving, and those bowls of spaghetti end up creating a liability when you want to start cutting up a center and expanding it because you don't know what cables are what. So 
there's an example of where we led a business initiative that had several different drivers. But mm-hmm. really, I look at that as a technology offering. Right. And it kind of points to that balance, right? That you see technology, you view technology in light of the business. Um, in 98 or 99, it was ahead of its time. But as more and more technology got deployed to the centers, it made more sense to bring that in. You're still looking forward, right? I am sure you spend a good deal of your time today thinking about what's going to happen three years from now, five years from now with things that are coming. One of the areas that we touched on in our pre-conversation was cloud. And you had some great thoughts on what cloud is doing to technology, but also doing to the business and some things to look out for. So let's shift our attention to that for a moment and talk about what have you seen in the world of cloud and some of the impacts that it's had on your IT strategy and your business? So that's a really big question. Um, <laughs> and right, because you could you could come at that from a lot of different angles. But what I'd like to do, Jeff, is I'm going to take us back in history a little bit. Okay. And so the chain, it's interesting, right? Here's here's a little way to think about it. Technology companies, they want to be landlords, right? Mm -hmm. They're converting from a licensed model to a rental model. So I'm flattered, right? Right. I'm. I'm... (laughs) Yeah. The rest of us are finally catching up with you. We're flattered. They, yeah. They've caught on to the value, you know, of consistent, predictable, long-term revenue streams. Um, so if, if we go back, um, the way software used to be procured was, you know, we'd go to market, we'd bake them off, we'd do all that thing. And in the end, what we would end up negotiating would be a perpetual license, to use something with a set of terms and conditions. And if you go far enough back, the commercial software market has, has really matured a lot, whether it's cloud or it's not cloud, in the last 20, 25 years. I mean, we've, we as CIOs, we haven't always, let's acknowledge, right? We've not always been able to procure that which we need. And so we, we used to build a lot more than what we do now. And we had those capabilities. And back in the day when we did our analysis, right, you can think back and you would say, ah, well, we're going to do a build versus buy analysis, right? Because we, we had teams of developers and analysts and testers and those sorts of things because we had to because you, you couldn't procure everything that you needed. And so we do a, a buy versus build analysis. And, and the comparison was obviously not just function and feature and long-term cost of ownership, but the comparison for what you should pay for something was rooted in what it would cost you to produce it, some, plus some kind of reasonable margin, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what we used to do. Well, the software folks have... You know, you you almost can't get a perpetual license anymore again because it's kind of hard to blame the software guys because I like consistent revenue streams as well. They've gone to a rental model and the software market in general has improved so much that 
I don't know any CIOs who want to build anything that they can buy and, and our ability and our, our teams aren't really built to build software anymore. And so the concept of buy it versus build it and then validate the purchase by knowing what it's going to cost to build and operate, that concept is gone. And Jeff, have you heard, um, we do value-based pricing. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. that's, that's yeah. code, that's code speak, right? So, <laughs> so I'm going to take us to really what the punchline is. The punchline is pricing is no longer rooted in any semblance of what it costs to build. Right. It's what is the value of that? And I'm going to take some of that value. So, so when we, when we look at automation, um, we used to very much focus on, okay, so if I, you know, if it, if it, if it cost me 20 bodies to do this function now, mm-hmm. and when I'm done, let's just say it's half that, you know, we're going to be humane and we're going to redeploy people and all that stuff. Right. right. You right. always try to do those things, but we would do our analysis based primarily on efficiency. Yeah, exactly. If we do that now, we fail. We fail for a couple of reasons. Um, Usually the value is in moving your business to a more digital way of operating. It gives you more information, faster. It gives you the ability to predict things before they happen so that you can get in front of them. And so you're affecting the front end of the, the, the front office of the business, not so much the back end. Essentially what's happening is because of this concept of value-based pricing, um, you know, we used to say, we'll do it better, we'll do it faster, we'll do it cheaper. It might still be cheaper, but the cost savings aren't what they once were. Right. And so if you're not focused on, on really the better and the faster, and, and really probably more than anything, the better, it's the optics, it's the digitization, you're missing the boat. So as CIOs, we have to get our business people there and our our executive leadership there, because this is a transition that has occurred that the shift in mindset has to happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, To use digital transformation, right? It's it's not about bringing more efficiency into your business. It's changing that mindset that you're going to advance revenue, advance customer experience. I mean, that's what you're talking about when you talk about the shoppers in your in your malls or the visitors to your restaurants. It's about that experience and how can you as CIO bring better value. I love that. That's what I know you've done throughout your career is to try to drive that. And I think a lot of our listeners are hearing you give these stories and they're like, yes, yes, that's what we need to be doing. And so I think that's a great example of how to start looking at that differently and communicating that differently to your boards and to your peer executives in your organization. Yeah. I mean, the good news is, you know, it, it almost doesn't matter what news or business channel you turn on these days. Um, the use of technology in improving business and in and being more competitive, it's it's front and center. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So our business leadership certainly gets it. 
David, this has been fantastic. I could talk to you all day. As you know, when we get together, we usually spend uh, more than an hour for sure uh, talking about things. But uh, for, our, for our listeners out there, I always like to wrap with uh, what's an action, uh, one or two actions that they can take away from our conversation today um, and go do differently tomorrow. So I'm going to put you back in the role of mentor, only now you're mentoring uh, a couple hundred people or more that are listening to this podcast. What's your advice to them of something to do differently tomorrow? Wow. Uh, big, big question, right? Um, so we've talked about a lot, Jeff, and, and we always do, you know, like you said, when we, yeah, get, yeah. When, when, when we get together over lunch or whatever, um, we typically have a pretty good time and have lots of good discussion. And rather than um, go down the path of, you know, going and affecting culture or thinking about how you, how you focus more on value than on cost, you know, and all the reasons why, or maybe going down the, one of those ways, I, I would tell you that... The biggest thing that I would probably advise someone to do today is a new CIO or a newer CIO or someone involved maybe in a, in a turnaround situation. It's all the things that we talked about, mm-hmm. but it's rolling your sleeves up. It's being involved firsthand. It's leading by example. Um, I once uh, attended a luncheon with a CEO of a major technology company that will remain unnamed, <laughs> but he had a great line. He said, you know, there, there are two kinds of CEOs, right? And as CIOs, we're CEOs of our company's technology function. And he, he said, there are two types of CEOs. The ones that when they get the job, they say, I've arrived and they join the golf circuit. <laughs> And the other one who says, wow, oh, crap, I've got the job and now I've got to deliver. And, right. and, they, and they roll their sleeves up and they go to work every day and they dig in. Um, you want to be the latter, right? As, as the CEO of the IT function, you want to be the latter. You don't want to be the guy that arrived that's, you know, doing vendor lunches and golf. And you want to be leading your team by example. So that's what I would say. Roll your sleeves up, dig in, don't let solutions fall in your lap without understanding them and just go implementing. Think very deeply about the business outcomes that you're trying to affect. You know, it doesn't always involve technology. Sometimes it's just policy. Sometimes it's process change. Sometimes it tracks all the way back to business decisions that you could simply change, right? So anyway. Right. David, that is fantastic advice. Uh, As always, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to sit down and uh, talk with us, talk with our audience on this podcast, but also thank you again for all the times you've taken out of your schedule to sit down with me and talk about business, IT, career. I really appreciate it. So thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Um, hopefully it was helpful. And obviously, thanks to you. For those who don't know, Jeff runs a, a formal or informal group of CIOs in the Indianapolis area and allows 
all of us a forum with which to get together and bounce ideas off of one another. And, and he contributes a lot to the Indianapolis market. So Jeff, thank you as well. Well, hey, thanks for that plug. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for our audience out there, if you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. We'll have show notes and they'll provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for David Schott. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.